Jeremiah begins with the rod of an almond tree serving for the hastening destruction of Jerusalem by Babylonia. And here too, in our own passage, a wadi named Parat, right near the prophet's own home, serves as a linguistic link, representing the fact that soon Jewish exiles will weep by the river of Babylon. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 147. By the river of Babylon, I'm Mayor Soloveitch. In Israel, not far from Jerusalem, sits Ein Prat National Park, featuring a stream, Nachal Prat. It is an exquisite area, and visitors will find beautiful botany and joyful hikers. But you will not only be joining people in the present, but also following in the footsteps of biblical figures. For this site will reveal the blessings of our age, and how utterly inspiring and illuminating it is to study the Bible in the land of Israel itself. In chapter 13, we find Jeremiah charged by God with creating a prophetic analogy for Israel, utilizing a garment, a belt, or girdle. He is to place it in a specific site, allow it to disintegrate, and then present the worn-out garment to his target audience. Verse 1, Go and get thee a linen belt, and put it upon thy loins, and put it not in water. So I got a belt according to the word of the Lord, and put it on my loins. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, Take the belt which thou hast got, which is upon thy loins, and arise, go to Parat, and hide it there in a hole of the rock. So I went, and hid it by Parat, as the Lord commanded me. And it came to pass after many days that the Lord said unto me, Arise, go to Parat, and take the belt from hence, which I commanded thee to hide there. Then I went to Parat, and dug, and took the belt from the place where I had hid it. And behold, the belt was marred, and it was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, After this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart, and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this belt which is good for nothing. For as the belt cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people, and for a name, and for a praise, and for a glory. But they would not hear. The translation I have given you follows largely the King James, with some slight differences and one very important difference. I have inserted in the translation the Hebrew of the site where the belt is to be placed, Parat. Parat is the name given to one of the most important bodies of water in the Middle East, the Euphrates, often called Nachal Parat, the River Parat. It is a river at the border of Babylon. Thus, the King James and many other English translations render these verses in a manner as if we are supposed to understand that Jeremiah is commuting back and forth to Babylonia. Understood this way, the disintegration of the belt in Babel is meant to be a symbol of the coming exile. The problem, of course, is that to read the text this way is to assume that Jeremiah is schlepping to Babylonia, an incredibly long journey, merely to place a belt near the Euphrates, and then ultimately to bring it back. How can this be conceivable? A verse such as this serves for Maimonides as a textual sign of support for his contention that often the descriptions of prophets being commanded by God to do seemingly strange things or to perform activities that are usually forbidden by the Torah occur truly in a vision, not in actuality. Thus, we will read in Ezekiel of the prophet being ordered to shave his head and beard with a sword, although an action of this sort is forbidden by biblical law and doubly so for a priest, a Kohen, such as Ezekiel. Ezekiel, who is in Babel, is also, in a reverse parallel to Jeremiah, told to dig alongside the Temple Mount, though that, of course, is in Jerusalem. 
Maimonides resolves these exegetical issues as follows, quote, God forbid to assume that God would make his prophets appear an object of ridicule and sport in the eyes of the ignorant and order them to perform foolish acts. We must also bear in mind that the command given to Ezekiel implied disobedience to the law, for he, being a priest, would, in causing the razor to pass over every corner of the beard and of the head, have been guilty of transgressing two prohibitions in each case. But it was only done in a prophetic vision. Again, when it is said, as my servant Isaiah went naked and barefoot, Isaiah 23, the prophet did so in a prophetic vision. Weak-minded persons believe that the prophet relates here what he was commanded to do and what he actually did, and that he describes how he was commanded to dig in a wall on the Temple Mount, although he was in Babylon, and relates how he obeyed the command, for he says, and I digged in the wall. But it is distinctly stated that all this took place in a vision. It is analogous to the description of the vision of Abraham, which begins, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, and contains at the same time the passage, he brought him forth abroad and said, look now to the heaven and count the stars. It is evident that it was in a vision that Abraham saw himself brought forth from his place, looking towards the heavens and being told to count the stars. End quote. And soon after, Maimonides adds, quote, the same I say in reference to the command given to Jeremiah to conceal the girdle in the Euphrates and the statement that he concealed it examined it after a long time and found it rotten and spoiled. All this was allegorically shown in a vision, end quote. So according to Maimonides then, the parat to which Jeremiah refers is indeed the Euphrates, but the prophet never actually went there. Maimonides' explanation, however, is also problematic, because while certain prophecies can indeed take place entirely in a vision, here Jeremiah is instructed to bring the bell to the Israelites as a sign and a symbol. But if in the end the entire placement of the bell took place in his mind, what sort of allegory does it provide for the people? There is, however, an entirely other possibility that is available in explaining this text, one that may have eluded some of the medieval and modern commentators, but which others have noted. And that is that God is referring here in his words to Jeremiah not to a Mesopotamian location at all, not to the Euphrates, that the reference here is not to Nahar Parat, the Parat River, in the area of Nebuchadnezzar's empire, but rather to Nahal Parat, the stream or wadi of Parat, which is found today in the Ain Parat National Park. And it is, incredibly, not only in the land of Israel, but right near Jeremiah's hometown of Anatot. One of several commentaries that makes this point is an excellent article on the website Hiking in the Holy Land. An article that we are informed on the site was written in collaboration with Rabbanit Shani Tarragon. The article tells us, quote, In chapter 13, God speaks to Jeremiah, telling him to buy a fine linen belt and go to Parat. Throughout more modern generations, there were Jewish commentators who were confused by this. Without full understanding of the topography of the land of Israel, some, Maimonides for example, suggested that the prophecy was metaphorical and that God was telling Jeremiah to travel in his mind to the Euphrates River Parat in Babylon. Other commentators understood that Nachal Parat was right in Jeremiah's backyard. So that's where he went with his linen belt. God then told Jeremiah to bury the belt under a rock, then to return later to examine its condition. When Jeremiah returned to that spot on the river Parat, the belt was disintegrated. God explained that the belt was like the people of Israel. Once worn by God as a splendor and glory, they were now disintegrated in sin. End quote. The article further notes that an understanding of the geography of the Holy Land and of the prophetic writings that we have studied from Joshua to Jeremiah lends profound depth to Jeremiah's symbol. Recall Abravanel noting that Jeremiah, like Moses, prophesied for 40 years. 
Building on comparisons such as these, the article further notes that, quote, the Jewish commentators compare Jeremiah to Moses. In one sense, Moses brought the people into the land and Jeremiah escorted them out. Nachal Perat ends at Mabua Spring, right near Jericho, where the Jewish people first entered the land. The fact that Jeremiah's prophecies were given at Nachal Prat was a significant and important message for the Jewish people of the time. Repent now, or you will have to retrace your steps and lose the land that you were given. End quote. Understood this way, one can perhaps suggest that the prophecy itself encompasses a sort of pun or linguistic connection. Prophetic puns are central to Jeremiah's opening vision in the book. The prophet is shown a makel shakade, a rod or staff from an almond tree, which in Hebrew today is called shkediah, and God puns on the word because shakade can also mean hasten. Thus, Jeremiah begins with the rod of an almond tree serving for the hastening destruction of Jerusalem by Babylonia. And here too, in our own passage, a wadi named Parat, right near the prophet's own home, serves as a linguistic link, representing the fact that soon Jewish exiles will weep by the river of Babylon, by the banks of the Euphrates, which is also called Prat. But here, ladies and gentlemen, is what is incredible. The article on the Hiking in the Holy Land website further points out that upon arriving at Nachal Prat, one immediately observes the flourishing of almond trees, a resonant sign of the blossoming land, and that this sheds further light on the first prophecy of Jeremiah in chapter 1. Quote, As you reach the area of the river itself, notice the almond trees everywhere. These trees bring us back to Jeremiah's first prophecy, when God showed him a rod made from almond wood and asked, What do you see? Although there were no distinguishing features on the stick, flowers, leaves, Jeremiah was able to correctly identify it as an almond branch. Looking around at the almond trees that fill his backyard, it stands to reason that he'd be very familiar with the wood's color and grain, end quote. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, the very symbol of destruction and empire with which the book of Jeremiah begins stands today near his very home as an exquisite embodiment of Jewish restoration and return. In a fascinating lecture concerning Jeremiah's prophecies, Rabbi Yaakov Medan refers us back to a tale in the book of Numbers to the challenge of Korach against Moses and Aaron when he demands the priesthood. As a sign of the election of Aaron, the staff of the high priest miraculously blossoms with the fruit and flowers of an almond tree. This, Rabbi Medan notes, reveals that Aaron's staff, with which many of the miracles of the Exodus were performed, came from an almond tree as well. Thus, with an almond staff, the redemption in Egypt came forth, and with an almond staff, the destruction in the age of Jeremiah is announced. But Ramadan adds that just as the almond tree is, in Israeli winter, the first tree to hurry to flourish and flower, so too does the almond staff symbolize, even in destruction, the spring of the redemption that is yet to come. Jeremiah is often described as the prophet of doom. But Jeremiah, as we will see later, gives us some of the most beautiful prophecies of redemption and return, including, as we will see, words that became part of the liturgy marking every Jewish wedding, so that it is Jeremiah that defines our most joyous occasions. Thus, the article on the Hiking Israel website, published in collaboration with Rabbi Shani Terrigan, is correct to note how the flourishing of almond trees near Jeremiah's hometown truly bespeaks the wonders of our time. And to this I would add a bit of verse from the American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow about the Jews. 
This poem by Longfellow has its problems, but in one profound paragraph, he describes how Jews survived and endured the centuries by linking past, present, and future. Longfellow writes, For in the background figures vague and vast of patriarchs and of prophets rose sublime, and all the great traditions of the past they saw reflected in the coming time. To walk in Israel today is to walk with the prophets themselves and to see reflections of redemption. Thousands of years ago, a miracle was performed before the eyes of Israel when Aaron's staff blossomed with almonds overnight. Today, it is miraculous to see almond trees blossoming amidst Israelis where Jeremiah once lived. I have not been to Nachal Prat, ladies and gentlemen, but it is now on my to-do list. I cannot wait to walk where Jeremiah walked and to feel his spirit standing at my side. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.